Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. everybody. Welcome to Marriage and Martinis. This is Danielle. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, this is a conversation that I feel like was pretty different for me, um, this episode, but I really enjoyed every aspect of it. Uh, Joe Piazza and I hit on so many different areas of life throughout this conversation, and every single one of them felt so relatable. And I feel like I was sort of ping-ponging back and forth between topics because with Joe, there was so much I wanted to hit on, but I think you'll really find that the conversation definitely feels very much like just a relatable topic between two women. Um, And I knew I wanted to have Joe on the podcast for a while. I'm a big fan of The Committed Pod, which is her podcast, um, which if you're obsessed with relationships and conversations like I am, you will absolutely love. Definitely go check it out. Uh, And then she came out with uh, her new book, We Are Not Like Them, with her friend Christine Pride. And I knew even further that I had to have her on because this book explores race and friendship, interracial friendship especially, in a way that is so complex and so, so complex and so nuanced um, that I I give them so much credit for being so brave. It's a very brave topic to you know to delve into, right? We all know that the race conversation can be really uncomfortable, um, and you know, especially for two women, a black woman and a white woman, to kind of come together and write this story about an interracial friendship and about um, these, this tragic event that happens uh, where one of the, the, the wives' husbands, who is a police officer, shoots uh, a teenager and, and what that does to their friendship and what it does to their community and society and their individual lives. Um, it was really very layered uh, and really fascinating to see how they open up this conversation and it gives permission for us all to have a conversation that I think so many of us are so scared to have. Um, You do not have to have read the book to enjoy this episode. However, I highly recommend reading it and I hope that the conversation will lead you to want to read it. We also talk a lot about um, how Joe had a really successful flourishing career from an early age and got married uh, what we kind of as society consider later in life, right? Even though it was just, I don't know, she was like 34 or 35 when she got married, but yet she faced a lot of judgment for having a career before getting married and having kids and having a family. And we talk about that and and the discomfort um, that came with that. We also talk about... um, Undiscussed expectations in relationships and how we need to be more clear and have uncomfortable conversations right up front in relationships because then we're, we have all these expectations heading into relationships and we're totally let down when the other person can't just like magically like guess what it is that we want, what we're expecting from them, right? And then we're shocked. Like, how did you not know? Well, I didn't know because you didn't tell me. So we talk some about that um, and why we need to give grace when discussing race, especially. Why we need to give ourselves grace, each other grace, uh, and and how difficult it has become to have this conversation because we're all just so damn scared. 
So uh, I hope you enjoy this episode with Joe. Um, she and Christine Pride did a phenomenal job navigating this topic and and making it something that you really feel like you can discuss more openly after reading the book. Um, and also go and check out Committed Pod. And we also talk about her new podcast, Under the Influence, which for me, as someone who is considered an, an influencer, which is super weird, um, I really enjoy. And the second season came out recently. Uh, so go check that out. We talk a lot about that. Go check her out on Instagram, Joe Piazza. Check out her book, We Are Not Like Them. And enjoy the episode. Hi, Joe. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited we got to make this work. Definitely. I know it's always so interesting because I feel like I know you, but yet it's only virtually. I know, right? Well, that's the world we live in. Like we know everybody virtually totally. now. Yeah. I, I first wanted to ask you, have you, did you grow up in Philly? Because I know Philly is a big part of what you post and your, your articles and your, your book and everything. And it Philly is. Is, was a huge part of my growing up. So I did. I grew up in the Philly suburbs um, in Bucks County. And then I went to UPenn for college. And now I'm back here living in Center City with my family. I think it's the best city in America. And I just, yeah, Philly's, Philly is my is my jam. I would say it's my John, but I just, I, I still can't say John. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't. Well, we just had my son, my 13-year-old son is so obsessed with Philly. I mean, really, really obsessed. And we live in central Jersey now. So he's like the only one of his friends. But he is so Philly obsessed that he had his bar mitzvah theme was Philly just in oh. October. Yeah, God. it was love Philly it. love. Yeah. Yeah. You have yeah. done so much. I want you to tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Wow. I don't like, where do I, where do I even start? I feel like I do so many different jobs. Um, and frankly, I really kind of want to just do one job, but I don't think anyone is allowed to do one job anymore. Uh, so I've been a journalist for the past 20 something years, which is how I continue to define myself because I think that everything that I still do is, is journalism, but I am also a podcast host and creator. I've created and executive produced about four podcasts now for um, iHeartMedia and for the Philadelphia Citizen. I um, And I write novels. So I'm also, also a novelist, but it took me a really long time to tell people that I was a novelist because it felt fake for a while. I don't know. I mean, I've written 10 books and I, I still, I guess that that is like imposter syndrome. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, because like, because a man will write one blog post and he's like I am a writer right but yeah a woman 10 books in I go oh yeah I guess I write sometimes <laughs> and uh yeah that's that's it that is me in a nutshell I had a book come out in October that was the Good Morning America book club pick uh called We Are Not Like Them and we've been promoting that novel pretty tirelessly for about four months now which has been awesome and also a lot yeah, I, I want to talk so much about the book because I read it. I loved it. It is incredible. But I first want to talk. So you sort of had you. I got married at 24. And oh, my God, you're a baby. I, I was a baby, total baby. Yeah. And then I really didn't find what I wanted to do until I was almost 40. You kind of did it the opposite. You had like a, this thriving career before you sort of found love and became a mom and everything. Um, yeah. and you have written about that, that you sort of felt like this pressure, right? I mean, it's just not easy to be a full-time career woman and people just accept that you're not married and having kids. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was the last of my friends, almost the last of my friends to get married. We have, we have like two left and we're so desperate for them to have a wedding because all we want to do is go to a wedding right now. But <laughs> I met my husband at 34 and we got married on my 35th birthday. And there was a ton of pressure. I felt like the complete outlier. I'd been a bridesmaid 19 times. I was Katherine Heigl in that really bad movie. And at the same time, I wouldn't trade it for anything now because I know how it ends up. And I have this great husband and these two kids that I love. 
And I also got to build my career. I didn't, I don't feel like I had to sacrifice anything at all. But I think that that's very, very rare because I think a lot of women do either have to sacrifice their career to become wives and mothers or sacrifice becoming wives and mothers for their career. It's not easy to have it all. I do feel like I got it all and I feel very, very lucky, but I also know that so much of it was just luck. Mm -hmm. You are sort of, it seems like, so you have the the committed podcast that that you've had for a while and now you have this Under the Influencer podcast and you've written this book that's all about this friendship that gets um, very complicated. And it seems to me that you are sort of like me, where you're kind of obsessed with relationships, not just romantic relationships, but relationships in general. Yeah, absolutely. I think I am fascinated by relationships as a sort of cultural anthropologist, honestly. Um, Relationships are the backbone of our lives, whether those are romantic or frankly, friendships are often very much more important than romantic relationships for a lot of us, but they kind of get downgraded in our society, especially in popular culture. And I'm just fascinated by how they help us survive, both physically and mentally, and how how we tell those stories. And so I think there's two threads through all of my work, whether that's a nonfiction book, like How to Be Married, or a novel, like We Are Not Like Them. I'm exploring real and authentic human relationships, and then also centering those stories around women and how difficult it is to be a woman in the world today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because since I was little, I've always had these relationships that were, I would say, you know, I, I always had friends who were much older than me and I have important people in my life who are much younger than me. And, you know, I, I, my sister and I, when I was growing up, were not close and now she's my best friend and like the changing dynamics of, of relationships and everything. And, I, I love that you are honing in so much on the nuances of all these relationships, especially I feel like in We Are Not Like Them is, you know, you, you definitely um, you definitely hit on so many of the complications and the nuances of relationships, um, especially in that theme. But um, I, my, I guess my question is for, for committed and, and under the influence and the books that you've written, is there like a certain question about relationships that you're really trying to get to the core of? I think it's what we need out of them and what our expectations are. I think that expectations are the most unreal, unrealistic or undiscussed expectations are the most difficult parts of a relationship. I know they absolutely are in a marriage, but also in a friendship. And we examine that a lot and we are not like them. They we have to be more clear about what we need and what we want out of both a spouse and a friend, because if we're not clear, no one knows. And then your expectations are dashed and set too high and it just leads to resentment. Um, I learned a lot about communication. I co-wrote my novel, We Are Not Like Them with another author, Christine Pride. She used to be my editor. And we thought it would be so easy but we didn't communicate up front about how we would do this. How will you treat my sentences that you don't like? Will you just delete them? Will you tell me why you don't like them? Will you put them in a slush file so we can revisit them later? How, and because we didn't do that, there were so many hurt feelings in the beginning that all could have been improved with communication right up front. And I think it's the same way in a marriage. How do you want to parent? What what do you think about debt? How do you want to use credit cards? I think all of those things need to be addressed up front in every relationship. We have to have the uncomfortable conversations. We have to ask hard questions if we want them to really thrive and to be, you know, additive to our lives in, instead of something that uh, hurts us or makes life harder. Yeah. And the fact that we're constantly evolving and changing and those same answers that we get 
when we start a relationship might not be the same answers we get 10 years into a relationship. No, no. They might not be the same answer a month later. Honestly, like the people, people are constantly changing and constantly shifting. And we have to have that continued conversation in, in order to make sure that our friendships are and our romantic relationships and our parenting relationships, honestly, are, are as, as good as they can be. Mm -hmm. So tell everybody a little bit about the book. I didn't want to give too much away because obviously, you know, it is, um, it is so layered and there's so much to it, but how did you come up with the concept? And I'm interested in the timing because obviously, you know, there was this time when the issue of race, not that it hasn't always been an issue, but it really Mm -hmm. came to a head during quarantine and everything for a lot of people who hadn't thought about it in this immense way before. So what was the timing of it and how did you guys decide to do it? Yeah, the time we started writing the book in 2018, we, because as you said, police violence against black bodies has been an issue for ongoing issue, but the the media and a lot of the country really did wake up to it in uh, the aftermath of George Floyd's murder. But we had seen this before. I'd been a crime reporter. I have covered gun violence and just a reporter in general and watched, watched this coverage for so long. Christine as a black woman in America has obviously been intimately traumatized by the violence. And she brought it up to me. She said, I've never seen a good book that ta- a commercial literary, commercial literary-ish fiction that tackles this subject, but also centers it around a female interracial friendship or any really authentic, genuine female interracial friendships in commercial fiction. So much of fiction is for a black audience or for a white audience. And Christine had been an editor for so long that she knew that. So we started writing this book in 2018 and sold it in the fall of 2018 and actually turned it in about a week before George Floyd was murdered, a week before the world did completely change. Wow. And so were you, when you were going into the writing of it, because it is such a polarizing issue and yeah. you want to give it just a tiny bit of background about, about the book before I even get into that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So the book centers on the lifelong friendship between two women, Jen and Riley. Jen is a white woman, Riley's black. And Riley is a newscaster who has recently moved home to Philadelphia to try to get a job in the anchor chair of the big local news network. Jen is married to a cop. And in the beginning of the book, that cop shoots a an unarmed black teenage boy and the story is the fallout from that and how their relationship is finally forced to reckon with race and systemic racism in the world really for the first time because they met them when they were little kids in Philly in a neighborhood that was very mixed and they were so little they never had to confront race and it never became a muscle that that they developed between each other and so I think that one of our hopes is through the book, there's a lot of parallels to a lot of the conversations that did start happening in the spring of 2020, even though we conceived of the book well before then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm wondering what, what it was like when you were conceptualizing the the plot and everything in the characters, because it is such a polarizing issue. And so many of us want to be a part of the discussion and want to be a part of the conversation, but there's also fear there. There's fear of saying the wrong thing and fear of, you know, the uh, backlash from either side. And, you know, there's, there's so many of us who consider ourselves allies to, in so many ways, but also over the last couple of years have really had to reflect on ourselves and think about our natural internal biases and everything. So it must have been complicated to figure out how you were going to do this. Yeah, absolutely. It was incredibly hard. Both Christine and I had to confront a lot of biases, me in particular. And I try to be as honest about this as possible when 
talking about it on the book tour because I know how much fear and anxiety white women bring to the conversation about race. We, we do book events and people kind of cringe when we say, okay, we're going to talk about race tonight. And I felt the same way. I was terrified of saying the wrong thing to Christine. I was terrified of sounding stupid myself, but also of insulting her or insulting an entire race of people. And my agent didn't want me to do this book. Uh, she thought, she's like, Don't, you're going to get canceled. No matter what you say, you're going to fuck it up. There's no way to do this right. And I was like, all right, whatever. If I get canceled, fuck it. I don't even care anymore. Someone's going to cancel me for a goddamn tweet one of these days. But I, that fear is real. And Christine and I had to get to a place where we could say almost anything to each other. And I could say, look, I am totally ignorant of this. And I'm sorry, that fucking sucks. And I don't expect you to be my professor on 300 years of systemic racism. I'm going to go do the work myself. But I'm saying this out loud because I'm going to try. And I'm trying my best. And that's all we can do. I think there's a real lack of grace right now when it comes to talking about race in a way that it does make a lot of us vulnerable. So people just stop talking about it. And the book, the novel, what we're seeing happen, we've done about a, we've done a book club event almost every night since we launched on October 4th. So we're very tired and we've talked about this a lot, but it helps people have these conversations about race because it's easier to talk about fictional characters. We've done the heavy lifting for you. Our characters say the things that you've heard or maybe you've said, and you can say that out loud because the characters say it and be like, what did you think of this? How did you feel when you heard this or when this situation in the book happened? Because it's one step removed from reality. And that's what we wanted to happen. We wanted to, for this book to help people start conversations. And we're seeing that happen, which is awesome. Right. So Christine uh, and I both wrote, honestly, every sentence of the book. A lot of people assume that I wrote all of the white woman Jen's chapters and Christine wrote, wrote all of the black woman. Right, Riley's that's exactly chapters. what I assumed. Everyone does. And yeah, we from the beginning, we didn't want, want to do that because we wanted the book to feel very cohesive as if one author wrote it. And also because a lot of what happens in the book is informed by race, but a lot of it is also informed about being a woman in the world. Riley is a journalist, very similar to a lot of the journalism jobs that I've held. Jen is a woman trying to get pregnant. I was pregnant or postpartum um, for the entire process of, of writing and creating this book. And it's also a story that we mapped out the entire story. So we each really just took a chapter and started writing. And when we had to dig deeper on race things, we would layer on top of that, but we each wrote both women's sections. That's incredible. The writing is so good. I mean, it oh, really, really is. This episode is about two of my absolute favorite things, relationships and conversations. And honestly, some of my best conversations throughout life have been when I'm just sitting outside with someone and we're just like enjoying the nice weather and having honest conversations that you don't even realize how late into the night it gets and you wind up revealing things about yourself and each other that you never even intended to say. And that is really what we wanted to do with the date night questions. It was so important for us to put out something that would allow couples to have the same conversations that Adam and I have been having for these past three years. And my favorite place now is our podcast room. But obviously not everybody has a podcast room. So the warm weather is coming. It's going to be beautiful outside. Plan a night. Plan a picnic. Go to your favorite restaurant and sit outside. And we have already done the work for you. Like Joe says about her book, having hard conversations with the people you love about topics that really don't come easily. We have done the same thing with the Date Night Questions book. And we hear that feedback again and again and again. It is the perfect way to get into those conversations, whether they be conversations that lead to laughter, that lead to intimacy, or that lead to conversations that you've been waiting to have for years. So head to marriageandmartinis.com slash DNQ to download the Date Night Questions ebook and use promo code MNMPODCAST 
for 20% off. That is our biggest discount for our listeners only. The only place you can get it is right here. Marriageandmartinis.com slash DNQ MNM podcast for 20% off. Go make those date night plans and bring the ebook with you. You will not regret it. Yeah, and it's a it's such a brave book. I, I, I just I can't say that enough that as someone who has, you know, even done interviews and had conversations and everything, I know that it it is very shaky ground to tread on. Um, and it's obviously a conversation that needs to be open. And I know now you guys have book clubs going on about it. And what's the feedback that you're getting from these conversations? Like what are people what questions are arising from people and everything that maybe they weren't thinking about before? Well, it's just, it's really a lot of relief, honestly. People have been so hungry to have these conversations, but even in the midst of the great awakening of spring 2020, and I say that with a grain of salt, they're still terrified to have them. So what we're hearing is people are grateful to be given the space to to open up the these conversations and also we know that interracial friendships are rare re- real serious friendships you may have a friend that you get your nails done with or go to yoga with once in a while but when most people actually examine their close circle of friends they're pretty segregated so there's some statistic that's like 75 percent of white people don't have a close friend of another race and that bears out People, people have fought us on that. And we're like, really, really? And Christine is honestly my first very close black friend. I've had black colleagues my entire life and acquaintances and get a drink friends, but not like, let's go on vacation together. Can I stay at your house when I'm in New York kind of friends? That's different. And so we, some of these conversations I had been having for the first time, but if you do not have a friend of another race, we're hoping this book can kind of be a proxy to be like, oh my gosh, this is a window. This is a window into a world I did not know about. Because when you feel empathy for a human in the real world or empathy for a character, I think that changes your mind on some thoughts that may be quite deeply ingrained. And also about our kids and who are their relationships with? Because I think, so- yeah, I think that there are so many of us kind of look when I was reading this book, I was sort of thinking to myself, am I giving my kids enough outlets to meet, you know, a diverse group of people? And it can be really hard, especially if you live in the suburbs and, um, you know, and, and there's just not as many opportunities to put them in an immersive setting with all different types of people. And I think that this book really makes you stop and think about that and analyze all the groups that you're a part of. And I know, A lot of people even say, I mean, not even just friendships. A lot of people don't have black teachers, especially a black male teacher until sometimes high school, not even college. And those types. I didn't didn't have a single black black teacher. Right. Um, And I think from from elementary school. Yeah. Through college. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. I mean, there's so many, you know, uh, just the fact that we don't have, we're not, we're not getting you know, the teachings and the voices in our own personal lives Mm -hmm. until maybe never, but until maybe we get a job or, you know, we move to a city or we experience, um, you know, a teammate or, or something, but really it's all very, very minute aspects of our lives. And, and that is something that I think we all have to stop and say, okay, it's not too late for me to change this in my own life. Totally. But also, I think we can give ourselves some grace and admit that it's not easy. And those that's those are other things that we don't talk about enough. Why is it not so easy? Well, again, systemic racism really did segregate so many of the places where we live, work, and play. And I try I do try to make choices for my son to live in a much more diverse world than I grew up in, in the suburbs of Philadelphia. My town was super white. My, all my schools were super white. I chose to live in the city, right? Like I'm right in the middle of center city, Philadelphia. I'm choosing to send him to public school in that city. All of that said, and I want to, I, these are things I think we have to say out loud. My neighborhood's still, you know, fairly white 
And that means that the public school is still fairly white, more diverse than the private schools around here. Um, and if for some reason he doesn't thrive in that public school, we're privileged enough to be able to try to send him to somewhere where he will thrive because I want him to do, I want him to be happy, right? I want him to do well in school. So, and again, that's a privilege to be able to make that choice. So even with me making what I hope are choices for him to live in a more diverse world than I did, it's still not that diverse. It's not, it's just not. But I also don't know what else I can do to create that world for him. Or I do know, but I don't know how much I'm also willing to sacrifice. I wanna live in a neighborhood that's close to my friends. And that was a big deal for me. I wanna live in a neighborhood that's safe. Um, you know, the last, we moved to a neighborhood in Philly that was not particularly safe. There was a shooting where 57 shots were fired on a bunch of teenagers in the playground that we went to. So then I moved us to a neighborhood with less shootings, right? So it's tricky. It is tricky. And there's so many things we don't want to say out loud. And I wish we could just talk about them more and be, be more open about what we can actually do. Because you're also not going to walk up to like the like black women in your yoga class and be like, can we make, can we be friends? That's not how people become friends. Uh, becoming friends as an adult is, feels impossible, right? So it's, all of it is very hard. And I think we have to acknowledge that it is hard uh, before, I, I, I see a lot of self-flagellation in a lot of book clubs being like, I'm a white woman, I'm the worst. I don't have any black friends. I'm like, you're not the worst. It is hard and we can acknowledge that it's hard. Right. And you guys do such a good job of capturing so many of that, those nuances, you know, the, the racism that sort of surrounds Jenny when she's growing up and with her mm -hmm. mom's boyfriend and everything. And also the whole cliche of, I have a black best friend, so I can't be racist. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a constant. I feel like people use that all the time. Uh, of course I'm not racist. I have black friends or mm -hmm. yeah. And right. you can still be totally racist or you can be racist about some things and think that you're not about other things. Of course. But it was, we had an early reader be like, you can't have Jenny say, I'm not racist. I have a black friend. That's, it's just like politically incorrect. And I'm like, do you know how many people I've heard say that? Yeah. It. Of course. Like I, we wanted to put stuff on the page that we hear in real life because we want people to think, oh yeah, I heard that. And in all white spaces, I hear things that Christina's not going to hear. And people, like so many of the people that I know who are the most outward facing, politically correct white women who wear their BLM pins and march and put it on Instagram, say the craziest shit behind closed doors. And I think that we all know those people. And that's why not including it in the book would have been a real disservice to this topic. Right. And then you have the other side of it, which is uh, Jenny's husband, who's the cop. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in, because there, again, so many nuances, right. That, you know, that we find out about why he shot when he shot and, um, and the, and the feelings that he has following it and, and how his family reacts and everything. Mm -hmm. What was the research like for that? Well, we have a lot of, uh, I have a lot of friends that are cops. And so Christine and I interviewed a ton of cops, a bunch of DAs, and then also victims of shootings, the mothers of shooting victims. I had a few cops read the book all the way through and completely took their feedback because we didn't want this to be, pun not intended, so cut black and white, so cut and dry. There's a lot of gray areas when it comes to policing. We also didn't want this to be a diatribe against the police, right? Like that's almost too easy to write. We wanted to show the nuance in everything, in every tragedy, because I also think I can say this honestly, after being a journalist for 20 years, the media is complete shit at, at covering these things. And they love sensationalized headlines and rarely bring empathy or the human aspects to any of these stories. And we wanted to do that in the novel. Yeah, you did. You did a really great job. 
I'm awesome. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm wondering what you, you spoke a little bit about the beginning of the writing process and how you were sort of like stepping on each other's toes. And writing is obviously a very, very personal. I know for me, I've had editors read my writing and everything. And it is even, you know, in an easier article or something that's not so polarized, it's really, really hard to take that criticism. So I would love to know how you, what the communication was like and how you were able to have these honest conversations, because that is also a window to how we do it. Yeah, we, a lot of tears, a lot of trial and error. Uh, I think with any relationship, we also, we just have to over-communicate. We work in Google Docs and we leave each other a ton of comments when we're writing to kind of replicate the thought process that happens when you're doing this on your own. So like, okay, I did, I removed this sentence because of this or that. And then we talk so much. The process of writing a book together is way longer than writing it on your own because you do have to hash so many things out with another person. But then I think it's also more rewarding on the other end because you have a built-in editor who cares about the book as much as you do. Whereas when you're writing solo, no one cares as much as you do, no matter how much they pretend they do. And so you just have another human being who's really trying to make this a great, great product. Mm -hmm. And did the conversations become easier over time? Like not just about the writing, but also about the actual subject Yeah, totally, totally. It was so much easier now. And Christine and I really are at a place where we can talk to each other about anything. So it's, uh, we got, but it was that we did not have like one aha moment, one day where everything is great and peachy keen. It was two years of having really difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I mean, it was, when I was reading it, I, there were so many thoughts that went through my head, but you know, it, it, you see yourself, I think, in in both characters. You know, I think no matter what race you are, and that's one thing that's so incredible about it. And I think that we want to have these conversations. And like you said, you know, there look, there's so many subjects that we're talking more about, right? Mental health, and um, you, you talked about, you know, IVF and and pregnancy mm-hmm. and postpartum and everything. And I do think that this is one of the last issues that we're really starting to open up and what you guys did was such um it's just so unique and such a wonderful concept um it's really great so thank you and i mean you're definitely opening up doorways to lots of great conversations and also for you in your podcast under the influence which you just lost launched the second season and for me, as someone who I guess would be considered somewhat of an influencer, do you want to tell everybody who's not familiar about Under the Influence? Yeah. So when I had my second baby, I started, I, I was on Instagram way too much because there's no one stares at their baby just lovingly like all day, every day when you're postpartum. And my daughter would not sleep anywhere but in my arm attached to my boob. And so the only appendage I had was my thumb to scroll my stupid phone and I was scrolling Instagram way more than is healthy for any human being and because Instagram listens to us and they know everything that's happening in our lives they kept serving me up mom influencers these beautiful women in beautiful houses with you know angelic children who are always clean and I was never clean at that point and I had the concept, the initial concept was to do a podcast that was an expose of them and also to attempt to become a mom influencer myself. And when I did the reporting, I realized that so many of these women are actually entrepreneurs. They're building entire brands, mostly because they aren't able to function in other jobs and be moms, the kinds of moms they want to be, because our corporate workplaces don't allow for the flexibility needed to properly parent in this country. 
And I gained a newfound respect for them, but I am also terrified of the dangers of social media in general. And all of that is woven into under the influence, all of the ways that social media have permeated our lives. And what are the things we should look at and be more conscious of um, in these on these devices that are constantly attached to our bodies? We just launched season two. We go beyond mom influencers and talk a lot more about how influencing is touching everything we do, why teachers are becoming influencers. Well, because they don't get paid enough and they need a side hustle, but then also how do parents feel about your teachers being an influencer and why so many people are turning to Instagram for mental health help and the dangers of that when so many of the people that are giving mental health help on Instagram are not licensed therapists and the thorny legal areas around that. So there's so much that we're exploring. The season is actually terrifying, but also hilarious. So we're excited. We just launched it this morning. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's, it is. It's very exciting. And I had a mommy blog before Marriage and Martinis. Um, that's sort of what kind of broke me into, you know, the whole social media and all these different platforms now that I'm a part of. And it is, you talk about it being sort of terrifying that your entire life is dependent on these, these platforms and everything that are out of our control. I mean, it really is. There was that one day, I think you did a post even this, maybe this morning about the fact that that one day when, when Facebook and Instagram were down and there was this there was this cohesive, like deep breath of, oh my God, okay, I can go and actually get my life together in other ways that don't involve social media, right? There was this, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to go and finally, you know, make those appointments and call that friend and, you know, all the things that we, we don't do when we are so tied to our social media. But then there was this other, oh shit, like, what do I do? And, you know, I'm supposed to do these advertisements today. And, you know, how do I live without social media? And how do I connect? And it really was this, I mean, even though it was only like, what, 24 hours, it it was as if the world was shaken. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. And so many of us realized in that moment, oh my God, what, what am I doing? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Why am I spending so much time on this app? And another thing we look at in this season, which we did a little bit last season, is why do we post our kids' pictures on this? Why? Why are we doing that? When essentially, would you walk up to a stranger on the street and show them a picture of your child in the bath in the bathtub without knowing anything about that stranger? Because that's essentially what we're doing when we do it. And I think we have to think about that. We have to consciously think that we're turning our children's image into data dozens of times a day. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, you know, we own none of it. I mean, we own nothing. Yeah. No one owns anything. And so you look at a lot of these women who are influencers who I respect the hell out of them. Now I do. I've designed my entire new kitchen based off influencer accounts. How mm-hmm. else would I see these pictures? Right. right? Like I, I've seen beautiful pictures. I found the cabinets that I'm using from semi-handmade in them, I have to respect them. I've had recipes for my kids. And yet these creators are creating mini magazines, mini, mini media empires, and some of them are making good money, but they don't own any of it. Mm-hmm. Instagram owns all of it. Mm-hmm. And Instagram's not the one paying them. Brands are. And they have no support system. They have no healthcare. They have no pension. And if Instagram just disappears tomorrow, so does their entire livelihood. Yeah. And Instagram isn't liable for that. And I think we have to talk about that. Right. No, it is very, very scary. Absolutely. Everything is, is not your, under your control. And that is really frightening. And it is a very interesting conversation. But it's also, I think, something that the whole reason why we started Marriage and Martinis, Adam and I, you know, when we were going through really what was the worst time of our lives was that I did want to connect with someone who wasn't self-help and wasn't, you know, religious based and, and was just Mm -hmm. a regular person kind of going through the same shit I was and I couldn't find it. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. there is also this other aspect of it that is, it's really, really nice to know you're not alone. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Because it's, 
life is lonely. We don't live in a little village anymore with everyone helping and communicating and talking and talking about the hard things in life. And that's why I think that podcasts and accounts like yours uh, are really, really helpful. Yeah. And even from the sense of, I think it's become harder for a lot of us, especially as we're getting older and especially as women and everything, we're looking at these pictures online on a lot of these these sites and a lot of these accounts and we're not we're no longer allowing pictures of us as regular people to be put out into the world because there's a certain way now you're supposed to look when you're in a picture right a certain pose how you're supposed to look you're supposed to look smaller and there are all of these these ideas of what we're supposed to look like and and it's funny because I think there are so many of us out there who are are going to go through one day all of our social media and realize that we're not even on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless there are some of us who, you know, are taking these amazing selfies with these 10 filters and everything, we're becoming kind of invisible in the sense that we don't think we're worthy of posting. I mean, I know so many women who say, I never, ever post pictures of myself and I never take pictures of myself. It's always of everybody else. And that goes for me too. I mean, I have certainly, you know, pictures, but a lot of it is, oh, I'm not going to post that one. Um, You know, and just, it's not worthy. So there's that whole there's that whole aspect that is also really upsetting. Oh, yeah. So I mean, so much of it is upsetting and so much of it is difficult. And the show, I think the show really approaches a lot of this with humor and darkness that is appreciated by our audience. Um, but yeah, and again, the, the same thing with the book. It's all the things that we're not saying out loud. And we say them all out loud in this, in Under the Influence. And yeah, I just, I really love the show so much. It was a rocky road to getting it made, I think, because a lot of men didn't necessarily get it, but get how much that women depend on these platforms. And also the influencer industry is a multi-billion dollar industry that's mostly ignored by the traditional media because it's created by and for women. And we talk about all of those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it could be, it's it's a love-hate relationship. It could be a really amazing place and also it can be really scary. Uh, terrible, terrible, yeah. yeah, awful, awful. And that's that's another thing, like we're not here to tell anyone, get off now, stop. We want people to be more conscious about it. The same way we need to be conscious about every decision we make. Oh, do, the more information we have, I think the more that we can use things responsibly. No, that's a, that sounds like an after-school special, but it's right, true. But it is true. It is true. And and I think that a lot of things are out there to just scare us away from it, or we're fully immersed in it. But I think that there is a balance that we're, we're trying to find. Um, and I've met so many amazing people from being, you know, from being on, from being on Instagram and being on social media platforms. So there's, you know, there's both sides of it. Um, so what do you have like other stuff brewing in your head that you, that you want to explore? I mean, you've done the marriage and the mom, you know, the influencers and now the, the race conversation, like what else is brewing in there? Oh God. I mean, I just want to write something really easy. I want to write a murder mystery where a bunch of middle-aged women go to a cabin and drink too much rosé and a stripper goes missing. I just like, I need something <laughs> light. I really do. I really do. Um, and also, I have two really small kids, so everything that is on my plate is enough. I keep telling my I, husband I'm not not doing anything else. Although I do kind of want to open a bookstore wine shop in Philadelphia, but he was like, "No, not right I now." I love that idea. That's a fantastic idea. You should do that. Right, right. Yeah. Like, but a multi, a very multi-purpose space because I don't think that people discover books enough just in their everyday life. So we're dependent on the celebrity book clubs and word of mouth from friends, which isn't always what we want. But if you're going into the wine store to pick a bottle of wine and, oh, look, there's some books. I'm going to buy a book. Or what if there's one hairdresser's chair in there and the hairdresser is cutting your hair and, but you could also buy a book and also some wine and maybe some cheese. <laughs> I love it. Right? I think that I sounds know. really, really great. And, and I'm sure that writing the book was totally emotionally draining. I mean, the concept and the conversation and everything is really, it can make your head kind of like explode from all the different 
all the different sides of it. So I'm sure that you feel like you could use a good like mental break. I really could. Rosé, strippers, and a cabin. Yep. Love it. Yeah. I, I don't want the strippers to come to the cabin. I just want to write about the strippers going to the cabin. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do with a stripper. Tell everybody where they can find you. And I hope everyone will read. We are not like them because it is such an important conversation. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, most of my, sadly, most of my stuff is on Instagram because it's easy, right? It, I'm at Joe Piazza author on Instagram. And the day that Instagram shut down was actually the night before my book launch. And it freaked me the hell out because how do you promote a book? Not on Instagram these days. How do you sell books? So that was scary, but then it came back. And so, yeah, at Joe Piazza, Piazza author until it dies is the best place to find me. Mm-hmm. And under the influence and committed pod. And you're like, you're doing it all. It's awesome. All the stuff, all the stuff. I do need a break. All the rosé. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so, so much um, for coming on and chatting. And, you know, I think it's great what you're doing. And I'm really excited to listen to season two of Under the Influence. So I will be doing that. And um, yeah. And if you open up your wine and bookshop, I will be there. Come, please come. Yeah, we're, we're going to need customers. I will keep you up, be, keep you updated. Okay, you got it. Thank you so much, Joe. All right, thanks. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns